Wow, well, it is good for us all to be together. I mean, just the smiles alone are such a blessing to see so much excitement and people meeting one another. And our, our, our plan was to have this four-week series that went vision, to talk about our vision, and then faith and love, and then to be in a new venue to talk about glory. <laughs> but as we got closer to the date, it's like, well, we're just going to have to talk about glory in the old venues. So I guess that's the deal. But actually, God provided. And if you didn't see the video yesterday, we send very important videos. And yesterday was an important one. With Josh, Caleb, and Joel doing an acapella version of Billie Jean. That's not the only thing that came, but it could be the most important. But we've just been celebrating the fact that actually this kind of wasn't supposed to happen. And as you can see and I'll talk about, we probably need to be looking for another venue. <laughs> we are aware, but for the moment, we are together and we are preaching about glory about God's glory. What is more glorious than the people of God in unity together? That is incredible. But as we talk about this topic of glory, we, we're, we're sort of attempting to return to, to the sort of original definitions in the midst of so many other ways of understanding these words. We talked about vision and really said, what does that really mean? What does faith, what does love really mean? Especially in these three chapters we've been studying, John 14, 15, and 16. And, you know, glory is probably the least used of those words, right? The, the other terms are, are more used in daily language. I mean, when I thought about it, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say, like, the first thing that leapt to mind if, you know, somebody were to say, like, and there was Bob standing in all of his glory. <laughs> You're like, something must have gone terribly wrong for Bob in that case, because that doesn't mean glorious. That means something went off the rails, right? But that, that, that's like one common definite, and it's just like, what a, what a sad sort of use of the word glory. I mean, the word glory, as we're going to find, is extraordinary. I mean, the, 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 the truth of the matter is it's, it's often used like in terms of celestial glory, right? Or, or the glory of creation, right? You might hear it in that context. Or God's glory. You might hear it in terms of that. And that is actually what we're focused on today. The, the purest, most powerful and important meaning of glory for our daily lives is God's glory. God's glory. Where do we begin how do you try to attempt? I was watching a sermon by John Piper, and he's like, I don't even know how to, how to put this. John Piper struggled to put God's glory into terms we could grasp and understand. Rick Warren says this, what is the glory of God? What is the glory of God? It's, it's who God is. It's the essence of his, his nature, the weight of his importance the radiance of his splendor, the demonstration of his power, the atmosphere of his presence. He then says the ultimate goal of the universe is to show the glory of God. John Piper said, the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. Isn't that amazing? Think of, think of something perfect and everything about him is perfect. His manifolds perfections. John Piper says this, we're all starved for the glory of God, not self, not the glory of self. He says, no one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase self-esteem. Why do we go? 
because there's greater healing for the soul in beholding splendor than there is in beholding self. That is so important because so often we are beholding self, aren't we? And he's saying, actually, when we lift our eyes and we behold the glory of God, especially in nature. I mean, there's something about nature, isn't there, where we can behold the glory of God. Galileo said this, the prohibition of science, as he argued in his day, would be contrary to the Bible, which in hundreds of places teaches us how the greatness and the glory of God shine forth marvelously in all his works and is to be read above all in the open book of the heavens. Don't you love that? It's true. When we behold nature, somehow it just is right around the corner from beholding the glory of God. So I don't know if you've seen um, this stuff about the James Webb Telescope. Are you familiar with the James Webb Telescope? Have you seen any of those images? I mean, it's just unbelievable. I don't know if you... the, The James Webb Telescope was launched in December of last year. Actually, it was launched on December 25th of last year. And I don't know why, but the first thing that left to mind is like, man, they made guys work on Christmas? And then I thought, no, it's perfect on Christmas. I'm sure they weren't thinking of it in this way, or maybe they were. But on Christmas, this secular organization launched this telescope to go discover the greatness and the glory of God in outer space. That is so cool. And so then in July of this year, these images started rolling in. And we started seeing some of them. And, and I'm actually excited. I was like hoping, we've never done this projector, so I'm like, oh gosh, is it, can you even see it? And I think we'll be able to, but we must. I wanna show you this. So this is, this is the Southern Ring Nebula. I mean, isn't that, uh, that's a, this is just one of so many different, not only images, but things in outer space. Now, here's what's crazy. This thing is 2,500 light years away. I, I see people like, oh, wow, that's far. You have no idea how far a light year is, do you? Neither did I, so I looked it up. So do you know how far the sun is from us? No. Somebody's got to know. 93, I knew Trav would know. 93 million miles. A light year, and this is 2,500 miles, 2,500 light years away, is six trillion miles. What? Did your brain just bend right in half? 25, I tried to put it in a number and like, I, I, I've never heard the word quindecillion and I just stopped right there. A light year is six trillion miles, and this is 2,500 light years away. Oh my gosh. I mean, the glory of God. Like, did he think anyone would ever see this? I'm just thinking, his glory is so profound. He has painted stuff across the universe that may never be seen, or at least not before eternity. That is incredible. Okay, I want to show you this next one. This one is the one that's really incredible. So this is called the Carina Nebula. And and this is 7,600 light years away. Don't try to do the math on that. It's called the Cosmic Cliffs. And it's kind of this like three-dimensional picture, right? It looks like like craggy mountains on a moonlit evening. Um, and, And what's interesting to me is 
I don't know if you've ever seen Mount Everest. Like Mount Everest is extraordinary. I was in Nepal a couple of years ago and I took a flight across the Himalayas. They just do these flights. And, and honestly, it's, it's the closest thing I've ever seen to heaven. Like you're sitting there up above the clouds and these massive mountains are up there, 31, 33,000, 30,000, 29,000 feet. And you're just like, there's no other place like this on earth. So that's actually like, oh, I don't know what the math is, almost seven miles up into the air. And you're thinking, well, is this as big as Mount Everest? Well, what I, what I learned was that the, the tallest peak here is, is slightly taller than Mount Everest. It's seven light years across. It's 42 trillion miles across. <laughs> like, I gotta be honest, I'm preparing this and I'm like in tears. I'm just like, oh my gosh, Lord, you are so vast. And when I say that word, it actually just sounds silly because my understanding is just so small. Yeah. This little thing is 42 trillion miles across. He's just like, <laughs> his glory is beyond me. This next one, this last one, is five galaxies. What's so cool about this is this is 40 million light years from Earth. <laughs> I want to know how these guys figure this stuff out. I don't want to get into that, but this is all on the NASA website. And so while the, the, there's one that's actually closer, um, the closest one, I should say, is 40 million light years. The others are 290 million light years. But this is still fairly close in cosmic terms, NASA tells us, compared with more distant galaxies, which are billions of light years away. Mind blown. Completely. Ridiculous. Like his glory is beyond what we can even begin yeah. to comprehend. Yeah. And it says in Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. It's not wrong to behold these things and go, oh my God. Oh my God. But what I love is it even goes further in Psalm 8 one to say, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Yeah. It's not just seen in the heavens, but actually he is more glorious than all of the heavens in their vastness that we cannot even comprehend. I just had to sit with that. I, I promise you, every I would type and I would just start crying. I, it was weird. I just was overtaken with the glory of God. My Lord. <laughs> the thing that's amazing is that in the extraordinary expanse of this incomprehensible universe, these things are not actually what God considers the pinnacle of his creation. Right. Do you know that to be true? Genesis 1 tells us that after God created all of this, he said, let's make man in her own image. That is so important because of all the things he created everywhere, none of them were created to be just like him. In all of the cosmos and the intricate, vast, mind-blowing creation, his crowning achievement was you, Matt Schwarzenberg. Jimmy, Michelle, it was you. That 42 trillion mile thing was like, no, it's not.
what's these guys? Can you even begin to understand that not only he is this extraordinary creator, but he is so kind and loving and benevolent toward us? Okay, this isn't, this isn't a science lesson, but we have to just pause for a moment on the science. There's a scientist named Jerry Bergman who literally just studies creation. He has seven advanced degrees, and he says this, chemically the body is unequaled for complexity. Each one of its 30 trillion cells in your body is a mini chemical factory which performs about 10,000 chemical functions. <laughs> No wonder he wrought it with such great care. And every cell has one trillion bits of data, equal to every letter in 10 million books. Each one also replaces itself every seven years. Each one is independent, yet cooperates with many millions of other cells. That's going on in your body right now. Extraordinary. The level of sophistication, I mean, it just goes on and on. He writes this whole website that will just blow your mind. It's just too much to grasp, but it all points to the glory of God. But his ability to create stuff, even us, is not the most amazing thing. It's still not the most amazing thing. It's his character. Aren't you glad that considering how powerful and beyond comprehension he is, that he is also incomprehensibly good and loving. Yeah. Can you imagine standing under the power of a God like that and not being sure what he was going to do at any given moment because he was kind of temperamental? Yeah. <laughs> My son said, sometimes when I look up into the sky, I get scared. It's just so big. Like I feel so small. Isn't that what happens in these moments? And then we just find ourselves in the comfort and the care of a loving God. The story of the Bible is, is not only a story of his power and his capability, but it's a story of how much he loves us, despite, and we talked about that this morning, despite the fact that we wanted nothing to do with him. He is a great artist, no, no doubt. But even the greatest artist of all time, if you said, this woman sold her paintings for millions of dollars, but she also saved a busload of kids from drowning. The paintings would kind of take second place, wouldn't they? In all of this creation, it was actually his benevolence toward us that is his true and utter glory. God has created all of these extraordinary things, but his glory can only be fully captured in beholding how perfectly, unconditionally, and faithfully he loves. Oh, and by the way, he's God. He created all this stuff. He chose to create us. And then he said, I want to come and dwell on the inside of you with all of the power to create all of this. I actually want to abide in you because you are the pinnacle of my creation. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. Colossians 1.27, we prayed about it this morning, says the hope of glory dwells in you. Christ, the hope of glory, dwells in you. How is this as true as it is. How is this the truest thing yeah. that there is? 
In creating mankind, God not only made us in His image, He gave us the responsibility of watching over His beautiful creation. And His great desire was to be with us as we did that. And as I said before, in response, we said, we want nothing to do with you. <laughs> it's, it's silly, a, bit, a little bit. And yet, it didn't stop Him. We said, we see what you want, but we want to do things our own way. We turned our backs on him and sought our own glory. That is the ongoing cycle of man today, which is why it so helps us not to focus on ourselves, but on his glory so that we can behold not only the beauty of his creation, but his love for us. That is his glory. In Exodus 33, and I'm getting to the point where we're going to talk about the passage, but we just needed to get a running start into all of this stuff about glory because that's also what we find in this passage. In Exodus 33, we prayed about this again this morning. Half my sermon's been preached by people just giving words and praying this morning. I love that. It's because these things are stirring on the inside of us, aren't they? People are coming with words and thoughts and a sense of what God is doing. And God promises Moses that he'll go with his people as he delivers them from Egypt. And Moses asks to see his glory. This is pivotal. In verse 22, it actually says, When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of a rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Well, of course, the person who created this entire universe would just be too much to behold. But Moses wants to know, as Pete so wonderfully put it, if you're with us, just show me your glory. And God just said, I'll, I'll give you a glimpse. I know what you're talking about. I'll give you a glimpse. But it's really all you can handle. And then throughout their time in the wilderness, you see that God went with them. He actually made good on his promise. Exodus 40, verse 34, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, which is so appropriate to us right now, we're on a journey. I'm so grateful for this door into Clarksburg, for this opportunity to land here. I don't think... I don't think this is our final resting place. Amen. And yet for now, I am so grateful. And yet, even though it wasn't their final resting place, God would descend upon them in such great glory. So throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up for the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. They just followed exactly what his instruction was. We want to do that, don't we? Don't we want to do that? Don't we want to go where he goes and do what he does? That is our commitment monument. That's why we're constantly listening. Listening to him, listening to you, feeling our way toward where God is going. It says, For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is what we are counting on in this next season. Let's pray. Let's continue to pray 
Not because we're so desperate for the next place, but just we want to go with him and we want him with us. That is our highest aim, is that we would never travel alone without the glory of God. I want to get into some of these verses now, but I also want you to remember when Monument started, for those of you who were here when Monument started, we actually had this saying, wanted to push back darkness, plant churches, and point people to Jesus, yeah. right? And basically, what that means, like, how do you point people to Jesus? Look, there he is. <laughs> Look, it's Jesus. Okay, thanks for pointing that out. What does that mean, point people to Jesus? Well, I think there's actually a lot of understanding that comes from these verses that come. So I, I want to jump into John 14, verses 12 through 14. And Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. The greater works and greater works than these will he do. I mean... We just have to continue to marvel at that. Okay, Lord, you've got our attention. What now? He says, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified by the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Glory, glorified. What, what does that mean? How could God get any more glory? Honestly, like how could He possibly? The glory of what I've just described is so beyond our imagination. How, like, is that, are we putting a spit shine on His glory? Like, I don't know, what, what does that mean? How could we possibly do anything that would make God more glorious? But actually, if you break it down a little, and I'm going to go Greek on you for just a minute, that word is doxazo. And, and, and that means glorify. It says glorify properly to ascribe weight by recognizing real substance, value. Glorifying God means valuing Him for who He really is. For example, giving, ascribing glory to God, personally acknowledge God, acknowledges God in His true character or essence. Okay. Oh, I see. Now what we're understanding is that what it means to glorify God is to actually point to Him. Ascribing the true value, the real substance of who He is. Because it's one thing for Him just to be who He is all by Himself, but actually we have an opportunity to point to Him, to glorify Him. And it isn't just pointing to Him. Jesus now helps us understand what it looks like to glorify. How do we participate in the glory of God? So this isn't just distant, and it wasn't just toward us, but it includes and involves us. If you heard any of that explanation of the cosmos, how can we possibly be swept up in the glory of who he is? It's right here. Jesus says, by these things, we glorify God. So glorify means to point to Him. Jesus is saying that just pointing to God doesn't actually point to Him. He says, among other things, asking Him for things in His name and Him doing it points to Him. That's, I wrote that down because that's a mind blower. Jesus doing things for us glorifies the Father. 
So he's saying, ask me for things, I will give them to you, and that points to him. Yeah. Excellent. Let's do that then. Yeah. Let's not stop asking. Let's not stop asking. Because Jesus actually promises us that Jesus doing things for us glorifies the Father. Actually, can we just stop right now? What do you need from Jesus? What do you need? What, what, what is it? Because actually, I want to just stop right now. It's okay. I'll carry on in just a moment. And just ask him, just quietly right now. What do you, what do you need? What, what, what do you want to ask him for? He is such a gracious, loving, and kind God. He gave this to us. Take a moment. Let's just take 10 seconds. Close your eyes or keep them open or lay down or kneel, whatever. Ask him, what do you need? Lord, I thank you that you give us the opportunity to ask you. And you don't just say, yeah, I'll think about it. He says, I'll do it. And when I do, it points to God. Thank you. Lord, let us rest in this. Let us be quelled in our anxiety, all of the things we worry about, by knowing that the master of the universe is entirely available to us just to ask. Jesus, doing things for us glorifies the Father. I want to go now into John 15. Again, we're unpacking this glory thing. And what's cool is there are little, slightly different variations on what Jesus says glorifies the Father. Let's go to John 15, verses 7 through 8. He says, if you abide in me, we've read this before, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So he says, by this my Father is glorified. Again, he repeats this, but then he says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, yes. So on the one hand, it was saying, go back one for me, Angie, that Jesus doing things for us glorifies the Father. And then actually, if we go further, it says that well, let's go to John 15, 8 in the New Living Translation. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Another little spin on that. Oh, I'm so, God, I'm so glad God loves us, doesn't he? He loves us. We know that. We've seen that. I'm so glad he doesn't care about the results in my life. Oh, actually, that's not true. He's actually holding us to account. For the life he's given each and every one of us. And he says that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Our results, our fruit is important to him and it's important to us. And he wants to help us to glorify him. So he helps us bear fruit. Okay, well what is fruit? What is that? I mean, that's, that sounds fruity. What is fruit? I mean... I'm going to go Greek on you one more time. Karpos. I don't have it up there, but just listen. The first definition of fruit is, well, it's fruit. Oranges, grapes, right? That's, that's what fruit is. The metaphorical definition is deeds, actions, results. Yes. Yes. It's prof 
profit, gain. That is what is produced, is, is fruit. And remember, all of this in chapter 15 is vine language, right? I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me and I abide in you. So the fruit analogy makes, it makes sense. You abide in me and my words abide in you. You bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I'm always curious as to what the message translation says. And it says this, this is how my father shows who he is. When you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. So what is all this land in? Our maturity as disciples of Jesus glorifies the Father. That's the next slide. Our maturity as disciples of Jesus glorifies the Father. You know, we moved from California, um, and one house that we lived in, I don't know, we just move a lot. We're like always moving. And one house that we lived in had two massive orange trees in the backyard. And I remember the first January, because that's like when harvest comes, we had thousands, literally thousands, of the best tasting oranges I have ever had in my life, anywhere. And I asked the locals, why are these oranges so good? And they said, well, it's because the trees are old. Old trees bear incredible fruit. Isn't that interesting? Actually, really young little sapling oranges. Have you ever had one of those? They're just like tart and bitter. They are not good. They need time. As we said, one of the things I am so excited about is that we've got a few old trees around here. <laughs> I did not point to any single individual, but, you know, but Caleb pointed at me. See, I'm right in between though, like, although this is starting to... We have some mature trees that are bearing sweet fruit. Can I say to all of those young adults who gave a shout when Joel called you out this morning, eat of the fruit of some of these young, these mature trees. Honestly, they are bearing beautiful fruit that has come. You know, those trees weathered a lot of storms that were in my backyard. That they were still standing was a testament to a great many things. And that is the case with some of our mature trees. And it's that maturity that actually glorifies the Father. And when you take of that fruit, and I've seen that happening as we've started to mix together, again, some of the younger folks that have come from Frederick and then some of the older folks that have come from Gaithersburg. But listen, what the mature trees need from the younger trees is the energy, vitality, enthusiasm, and excitement. Dare I say the idealism that comes when you just don't know it can't be done. And then you go and do it. Amen? That is what makes this such a beautiful union of these two congregations coming together as one. Older trees produce the best fruit. But I've also seen some incredible sweet fruit in some of our younger folks as well. I mean, really, I have seen great maturity as you have applied yourself. So fruit is not simply the things we do, but it's first and foremost maturity. Young fruit can be too sweet, too tart, but actually the older fruit is sweet. I um, recently, just in terms of what it looks like to live this life. 
Um, yesterday, I started my job as the full-time lead pastor of Monument Church. I didn't want this job. Thank you for the applause. I didn't want this job. I'm not lead pastor of Monument. For about 20 years, I have felt the question of whether or not I should be the lead pastor of a church. This is my first gig, as it were. I've been in ministry for quite some time. And I had always just said, thank you, but no. Thank you, but no. Thank you, no. <laughs> and yet God, in his kindness and his patience, just kept nudging me toward. And now, I cannot believe I ever said I didn't want this job. What an incredible honor and privilege it is to serve all of you. And the thing that hit home for me once again is there is this concept in our current culture that you're supposed to want to do the things that you're supposed to do. It would seem to me that the very things you are actually given to do by God, you may very well not want to do. See, oh, I don't know, every character in the Bible. <laughs> I was encouraged because I was listening to an interview about the death of the queen. <laughs> You're like, how is that encouraging? Well, one guy says this. The interviewer said, why is the queen so beloved? Why is she so heralded and celebrated all around the world? And this guy said, well, it's this, this, that. And he goes, but actually, what I really think it is is she didn't want the job. But she did it anyway, and she did it with incredible grace. And I was encouraged because you don't have to want what God wants for you to actually be obedient to respond to it. He's taught me that, oh, in some very hard ways over the years. I was speaking to somebody recently who I, I, I think actually has, has eldership on his life. I think he is called to be an elder. One of the first things he said was, I'm not sure I really want that. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure that really matters. <laughs> You're falling on deaf ears at the moment because from the very beginning, I was like, I don't think so. And God was just like, that's okay. I'll convince you. It'll be beautiful. And now he has released me into this. And I am so grateful to be a part of what he's doing here. I mean, look at this. This is so exciting. This is just the beginning. I, I, I just feel that. Yeah. I know that for some of you, the transition has not been easy. We've heard from some of you. Thank you for your honesty. Do you know we have a 100% open door policy among yeah. the elders and leaders? We want to hear what's going on in your heart and mind when it comes to the big changes that are happening. Always. Yes. We always do. And I, I, it pains me, it grieves me when I hear that people don't feel comfortable talking. Oh, please. I, I am so interested and willing. And I get that it's a big change. We were having lunch with a woman on Friday who said to my wife and I, she had been struggling because she lives in Gaithersburg. The church was pretty close. And I said, how are you doing with that? And she goes, you know, I thought about it. And if you can move from Southern California to Maryland, I think I can drive to Clarksburg. And I was like, excellent, thank you for that. It does require something of us, folks. It just does. 
And I get the discomfort and I don't mind hearing about it. But can I call you to a level of obedience if God has called you to this church? If he has not, we bless you. We want to help you find the right place to be. But actually, maturity would say, even if I don't want to, even if it's not comfortable, God's got bigger things on the horizon for me than the comfort that I feel like I'm trading to take this on. That's the lesson that he's been teaching me. One of the things I love, and then I'll move on to the last point, is that this thing of maturity, this thing of fruit, is so alive and kicking in our congregation. Do you know in the last, I don't know, three months, I've had requests to start 12 ministries. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I have a spreadsheet. There's 12 columns. 12 ministries. Now, somebody said to me, gosh, that's got to be a bit exhausting. And I'm like, sometimes it is. However, it tells me that people are engaged. They're taking ownership and they want to make the most of whatever it is they have left on this earth by expressing themselves in terms of who God has made him and bearing fruit. We are in a bit of a transition. Give us a moment, especially those who have raise their hand to get something going. I don't even call them ministries, just passion projects. I don't know what they will ultimately look like, but I love the passion behind them. We want to do this well. We don't want to just start a bunch of plates spinning that we can't stop, but we do want to honor and dignify the desire for obedience, maturity, and bearing fruit as God calls us to do because it glorifies Him. Amen? Amen? All right, last verses. John 16, 13 through 14 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. That's the third time that glorify appears in the farewell discourse. The last time that glorify appears. And it's a little bit of a variation on those first two, isn't it? He's saying this. Final point. The Holy Spirit glorifies God when He speaks to us. That's what He says. He says right here, He will take what is mine, He won't speak on His own authority, and He will declare it to you. He is going to speak to you, and that is going to glorify the Father. Now that means a whole variety of things. That means for them in that present day and what was happening and there is much to unpack but we cannot miss the point that Jesus sent his spirit to speak to us. Why? What does the spirit do? It convicts us of sin. Hey, you're getting off track. Don't do that. You know what that is. You know when you're doing what you aren't supposed to be doing. You know what you're doing isn't glorifying God. And so the Holy Spirit helps us in that. But then He also aids us. He gives us prophetic words. We are very committed to the spirit of prophecy speaking through people in this congregation. I remember years ago I had somebody ask me at another church uh, where we were doing this. And somebody said, so does anybody just get to come up and grab the mic? Fair question. And it actually makes people nervous. Because I don't know what that guy's going to say. 
Actually, we really want to be attentive to God's Spirit. This isn't open mic night, but it's determining and discerning what God is saying through His people that will edify and benefit the congregation. So we want to stay committed because the Holy Spirit glorifies God when He speaks to us and that is used to edify the body of Christ. Jesus has said so much already that is so important. And actually, we're going to be starting this next series called I Am. It's the seven great I Am statements in the book of John. And we'll end full circle back in John 15, I Am the Vine. Caleb's going to launch us on that series next week. I'm excited about that. He's been hard at work. But we will proclaim the words of Jesus because they are life-giving and transformative. And when we do these things, it glorifies God. That's how we point to Jesus. We rehearse and we practice and we proclaim his words. But I'll land with this. Of all of the things that God created, the heaven and the earth, Charles Spurgeon says, the marvel of heaven and earth, of time and eternity, is the atoning death of Jesus Christ. This is the mystery that brings more glory to God than all creation. Isn't that beautiful? So while we can be awestruck by the seven light year gaseous mountain thing, by the expanse of the universe beyond our comprehension, what he is calling us to marvel at is the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the greatest display of God's glory. In all of the vast creation, the appearance of Jesus on the earth as an infant and his subsequent death for our, our sin outshined it all. No star, nebula, or galaxy, or mountain, or ocean could hold a candle to God sending his son to ensure once and for all that he could be with us. Gosh, that is glorious. Yeah. The beauty, the virtue, the holiness, the perfection, the glory of God can all be summed up in this moment when Christ came to earth. It meant that we could enjoy his glory forever and ever. A.W. Tozer said this, we must hide our unholiness in the wounds of Christ as Moses hid himself in the cleft of the rock. While the glory of God passed by, we must take refuge from God in God. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs>